Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ladies and gentlemen, season three, episode 25. And I know you've been getting sick and tired of the monologue. So I recruited a good friend of mine from my undergrad at Acadia University, Ted Higa. We hosted trivia together. I promised the last episode, Teddy, how we doing? I am living the dream, Greg. I am fired up just like the old days to be right back here. And here we are doing it again. But this time, you know, instead of coming up with bogus trivia questions, we actually get to talk about stuff we thoroughly enjoy. Absolutely, man. We're going to dive into the sports world. But uh, yeah, man, we, uh, we used to live it up. I, you know what? I was reminiscing a little bit as I, as I you know, reached out and, and was going to have you on. I was like, man, remember those Summer Street Stallion jerseys? So Ted and I both in our final year lived on Summer Street. And we designed these jerseys to wear in our rec hockey league absolutely disgusting it was like a steroided up stallion on purple black and silver colors i mean absolutely dead, deadly unis for the for the rec league i think you know you got to give your boy the kid mitracine a shout out he's going to be pretty upset if he doesn't get some credit on uh building those but man those things were sexy we had uh great colored socks like we looked like a team for a bunch of booze hounds oh man it was but, unbelievable know, Yo, speaking of that, how about, uh, you know, the uh, cheat and cup game, charity classic. Actually, no, it was business, business versus kin game. I've and told this Greg story. Brown I've told this story. the wheels off some kid <laughs> in a charity hockey game, and I'm getting less than 45 seconds of ice time here, and this guy's getting all of it. Yeah, I told that story about me. I wasn't able to play for the rest of the uh, my time at Acadia. They were like, yeah, you're good. Like, academically, you'll be fine. You know, you can still attend school, but yeah, you're just not able to play in that game. But yeah, man, I mean, but that guy asked me to go like he dropped his gloves like he invited me and I was like, all right, absolutely, man. Like, anyway, that was a 400 students piss booze. They're obviously going to say, yeah, let's do it. You're not going to say no. You're an entertainer. Look at what you've been doing for the last two years. That's just that's just it, man. I like to get the crowd going. I mean, that's that's something to note, too, man. Like drunk students and drunk fans, they make an atmosphere. That's why, like right now, they are. We'll get into the pregame show. I, I'll go into this first, uh, uh, Ted. I'm going to set up the the episode in the pregame show. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some some of the sports landscape that we're not going to get into. Quarter one, we'll talk about the World Cup, MLB. Quarter two, we've got some NFL action. Quarter three, NBA, and we'll talk a little bit about the golf match, what it was like on TNT with Rory and Tiger taking on Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, and then we'll bring things home in the NHL. But need, or uh, I'm going to say that. About bunch probably ted um but teddy habits die hard uh, that's right um no man like uh that mullet arena in arizona i mean if you get a bunch of drunk students packed in there man that atmosphere would be pretty electric it's speaking of electric did you see that woman eat an absolute haymaker <laughs> in a gronk jersey <laughs> I mean, the, the fans had to have been in her ear. There's just, there's something you, there's like unwritten rules as being a sports fan. You can't wear a team that's not, not playing Jersey to the game and you cannot wear a different sport Jersey to the game. So people would have been in her ear and then she got knocked the fuck out. She, she ate that like a champ though. She bopped up yep. and then all of a sudden the dude came flying over the rope and you're just sitting there thinking, 
maybe this is Gronk right here. Like, I was shocked. That guy was swinging head down, bop, claps, whoever. Unbelievable clip. Oh. Unbelievable clip. Anyway, the, the Coyotes ended up winning that game. It was a greasy icing call against the Bruins, but obviously a big win for the for the Coyotes in that one. But, but Teddy, let's get into the episode here. Obviously, massive news last week. Brittany Griner, WNBA player. We all know she was arrested in Russia for having weed oil, uh, sentenced to nine years in prison, gets traded back to the United States. You rarely hear this type of a trade in dealing when we're dealing with governments, but a massive trade, blockbuster, some would say. Brittany Griner, in exchange for a terrorist gun dealer, they call him the Merchant of Death. I mean, I don't think we're gonna you know analyze the trade or pick a side, but interesting here, uh, biggest trade in uh, in a while, Ted. That is definitely a blockbuster. I mean, I, I recognize that people have different sides. They've talked about that Marine who is still left over. In my thoughts, maybe this is a bigger play from everything. I think when you look at what's going on in Russia and just, um, you know, the hate against LGBTQ, you know, the, yep. the alliances and all that stuff, maybe that this is a bigger play of a female athlete of non-color. Yes. Um, rather than just hey let's send back I, and again I, I don't know the situation but i feel like from what the media is seeing and what people are seeing i feel there's a lot more to it than just a one-for-one -one trade but definitely very interesting and especially how the individual got into that situation i mean pro athletes i'm sure they have a lot of different ways of recuperating because they are banging their bodies you oh, know man. game after game so was it an honest mistake that hey my vape pen was in the in my bag i don't know i'm yeah. a traveler you kind of know about that stuff but at the same time like it's great that at least we did get some thing you know i think there is positives but also there's a whole lot more to it and i don't know if we're qualified to be no yapping about that gosh no and i mean like you said ted i mean i don't think marijuana use is talked about and how frequent it is used in pro sports like i remember matt burns he's a analyst on espn right now he said he played like more than half his games in the NBA under the influence of marijuana. He didn't even use it to recover. Like he was just, he just loved smoking weed. Like, and, and I guess in the Western world, we've just become accustomed to that. Like, it's just, you know, it's just a plant. It really doesn't, um, you know, it, when used in reason, you know, you know, can be used responsibly and, you know, recreationally and, yeah, it's just obviously in different cultures, it's still frowned upon and, and judged as a narcotic. And yeah, I mean, she, she faced the penalty, but and all in all, Brittany Griner's coming home. We'll see what happens if she's playing in the NBA anytime soon. Um, you know, obviously not a huge NBA or WNBA follower, but apparently she's a stud. So, uh, so I mean, there's been lots of debate online if you really want to dive into it and pick a side. But that was the headlining trade from last week. Brittany Griner for a Russian arms dealer, the Merch to Death. Teddy, UFC 282 was going on this weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada. Some big headlines in this fight. I was watching them. I was all faded up. But the biggest storyline was Royal Rosas Jr., an 18-year-old, fought in this card. Can you imagine being a senior in high school, Ted? And he was fighting a 29-year-old. This 29-year-old guy was tatted from neck down, beard, and it was an unbelievable fight. Did you catch the highlights here, Ted? Did you see this kid go at it? I just saw, you know, this kid, I'm thinking like, all right, you can even see there's a little bit of like a density difference. You know, when you see a young kid versus an old guy, you're like, all right, let's see kind of what's going on here. But for him to come out and just bop this dude, I'm thinking, you know, you go, you show up to a high school fight 
And you're yeah. like, all right, man, this is going to be fine. And here comes this 18 year old kid and absolutely murks you. Like I get it. Like, obviously there's probably a different, a 10 year gap is probably 10 years different in training. Maybe it could have been just an off night, but still I was pretty excited to see that kid just do his thing, man. And like yeah. I said, high school senior. He checks a lot of the boxes too, in terms of like being a solid UFC fighter for the next decade or two. Like he's got a speech impediment. He's got the cauliflower ears. You know, he could tell he's already been through, you know, a lot of things. So, I mean, he's checking a lot of the boxes in terms that, you know, he can take a beating and that he's just rolling through it. But I mean, yeah, like 30 seconds in, he got this guy's back and didn't let go and ended up choking him out within the first two minutes. So, I mean, that's exciting. That's exciting for a guy like Dana White because, you know, in every sport, every commissioner is kind of looking for that next guy, that next guy who's going to sell tickets, that next guy who's going to sell more pay-per-views. And you know, for a fact, as soon as Royal Rosas Jr. is on a card, people are buying that pay-per-view. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big win for that organization having this young star and you know one thing that i've always found interesting about the usc is how much money these pay-per-view fights can generate and let alone the fact that like you're watching these fights at like in nova scotia 1 a.m yeah and so like just it would be really cool to experience an event like that let alone if you were sitting in this guy's corner as another 18 19 year old one of his classmates or friends oh yeah pretty cool experience to see and yeah that uh, that was something Man, the pay, the pay, like um, the fighter payouts. Sorry, Ted is such a an area. It's a it, it it's like walking on eggshells when when you bring up fighter pay. I mean, think about like you said the amount of pay per views that are being sold worldwide, and the one fighter who has the fight of the night gets a fifty thousand dollar bonus. Look at the payments across all sports, and UFC is the fast. It, like we're not just talking about a a North American popular sport. I mean, this is a world like the fastest growing sport worldwide, and they're getting paid fifty thousand dollars one fighter for the fight of the night. I mean, that's something that Dana White's going to have to address. Or, I think Jake Paul is going to develop a an association. There's going to be other banners of fighting that come up, and just it's going to be similar to the live golf and the PGA tour with just money talks and, and they're going to be able to recruit fighters if Dana White doesn't hop on top of this. So we'll see what happens. I did want to mention to Patty, the baddie, Patty Pimblett from England, kind of been a rising star. Uh, he ends up winning by decision. I don't know if I agree with the decision, but I've had Sam Alvey on Teddy, uh, who's a UFC fighter. And uh, he says, you never want to let a fight go to the, to the judges because they're just the most inconsistent judges in the world. And, and I mean, for good reason, you're judging a fist fight, you know, I think, uh, yeah, what did that? They took the decision, uh, puts Patty, I think he's now like 20 and three. Yeah. Yep. On that. And so that guy, like, honestly, if I was a judge, I, I would have been swinging for, for Patty. I think that guy's a character. Yep. Would you see that video of him recently? Eh. Like, uh, my dog took a doo doo on yep. your lawn. <laughs> yeah. It's a little like, what a guy, right? And so I, yeah. I think um, just he's got a good presence. He's got a good personality. He's always on the internet. And he's he's a goofy dude. And um, but yeah, I, I think you're you're totally right. Like you can sit there, and especially as someone who isn't a fighter, we'll watch a fight and think, oh my god, this this dude should win. But yeah. then there's so much more of those little things that we don't really recognize, like controlling the octagon and 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 what side of things that is. So yep. um, you know, I'm happy to see Patty the baddie because he is a baddie, but. Uh, I mean, I, I could see some people be upset with that fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, too, for Dana White, like, you want the judges to score the win towards Patty the Batty because, in the end, he's going to sell more tickets. He's, he's the guy fights. that you don't want climbing up into that top 15 and getting a ranked fight. I mean, that's the guy 
that is the rising star. That's kind of the Conor McGregor 2.0. Like you said, he's just got the great accent. He's always in the media. He does social media so well. He's got the and contract with Barstool. Media, you know, it's not yep. negative. It's not him making scenes. It's him like doing good things kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, continuing on to the pregame show, episode 25, season three, joined by Ted Higa from Toronto, Ontario. Absolute legend. Liver King. Social media kind of bodybuilding, ancestral living, influencer, interesting guy here. He's on the apology tour right now, Teddy, for lying about not using steroids. See, I'm coming from a spot where I'm like, why should he be apologizing? If you didn't think he was on steroids, you're just a full-on moron. He's clearly on steroids, and the fact that he was saying he wasn't was just clearly a facade. I mean, he was on steroids. Just... I mean, I guess people haven't trained in the gym for years at a time and understanding that the, the, the changes that can happen to your body, like that's that's not a natural change or that's not a natural outcome of just working out and, and dieting. And I think, you know, you look at individuals that are, let's say 40 plus, I don't know how old Liver King is, yeah, but there's just that element of unnatural tightness in his definition that you're like this there's you're blind if you're not seeing that this guy's on something whether it's steroids SARS or whatever it is yeah and I think for this guy though is like you're building a personality trying to be earth right like he's like oh I'm all about health and earth and liver like all that stuff about being one with the ground and then you're trying to build your brand saying hey I do this all natural yeah I I think if that was part of the thing, you know, if that was part of his persona was to make people actually want to believe he's not on steroids versus like it coming out 50, 50. I mean, it's his choice, what he wants to do with his body. It's just a matter of how he's selling his stories. And I mean, from us as content viewers, we probably love it. It's more stuff to watch, but if you are a, a brand deal, you're an advertiser and, and this guy's telling you that he is raw, all natural yeah. and you're starting to promote in a product line, of course I'd be upset as, as a business owner. But uh, you, you don't get that size just purely from working out and eating rice and potatoes and chicken. No, there's just no chance. And, and like you said, I mean, there's got to be a lot of consumers out there. The people who fell for the fact that, you know, if you eat liver and, and, and consume all my supplement, all my supplement line, that you're, you can look like this. I mean, it's just, it's full on outrageous. And, and uh, I, I think like, I don't think he's that, like obviously his body and, and you know, his, he's a very unique character, but I don't find like his content is that fantastic. Like I'll watch him because I'm just like, I'm, I'm consumed by the fact that he's just got these muscles the size of Hercules. But like in terms of like content creation, I'll be it'll be interesting to see how relevant Liver King stays after this fall. Like I I think it is going to be a tough climb, a tough comeback because I mean look about like I, I think about a guy like Seabomb. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, Ted. He's like Mr. Olympia. He went to Dalhousie actually in Halifax. But like there's actually like guys who are like natural, not natural, but steroided up people who who are actually in the fitness game that you know. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Liver King and what his next moves are. We're monitoring that. Finally, in the pregame show, Teddy, Pete Davidson. This guy is, he is, this guy's a content machine. He's a, he's a media icon. It's incredible what this guy is able to do week in, week out. But Eli Manning and Peyton Manning, obviously, they've got their Manning cast on Monday nights where they watch the football games. But there was a, they both have their kind of their shows where they go and hang out with these people. Peyton's places is what Peyton calls his. Eli's, I'm not quite sure what he calls it. But Peyton and Eli made an Instagram account. But this Pete Davidson guy, one, he was rinsing Kim Kardashian. Are you kidding me? And then he moved on to the model. I don't know her name. But I mean, this guy's got wheels the size of a monster truck. And apparently, he's got a dick to match it. You know, they say he's what? How tall? That guy six, 
six eight yeah both ways yeah i don't know he's, he got the tall frame <laughs> yeah. all sides of him but no i think also part of it too is um when we see these kind of celebrity crushes it's it's like our my good roommate from acadia you know once people hear about it everyone wants to take a run just <laughs> based on it and so i think that's it's a snowball effect so uh good for him and i think he's also been pretty interesting uh especially with the kanye west stuff going down and, and the fact that he able to he's able to you know come through and, and still progress and then still just be like ah, i don't care what everyone else is saying and now he's on to the next one like pretty interesting but yeah that stuff he was doing with eli was pretty good Man, do you think, uh, Teddy, that Pete, like, it's almost like if a if a female of high caliber is kind of needs a little media bump or a little bit of like, let's get some relevance action, like, let's date Pete Davidson for a month and see what I happens. Feel like they're all already pretty relevant. Yes, for sure, for sure. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean uh, he's built these. Sorry, go ahead. I mean, the stable that he's created, the roster that he's built, is just it's just it is world class, and it's. And I mean, it gives every kind of average looking guy out there some hope. It gives, and I think guys like us, you know, pretty goofy dudes as well, that's going to help. But, you know, you also got to think, I mean, like this guy, to get it in the bag, he's getting full on neck tats. Yes. Of the kid's daughter. So, I mean, like, yo, if that's what you got to do, that might be a little out of it for me, but yeah, props to him. And he's also, you know on Saturday Night Live every night. And here we are, Monday morning, so. <laughs> Monday morning, recording the Daily Intermission podcast. That's right. He's uh, he's advanced in his, in his career a little bit uh, further. But no, man, he, he, uh, he's, a, he's a fun character to follow. And man, he has just been uh, making waves left, right, and center. But Pete, or, uh, but Pete, but Teddy, I'm going to call you about nine different names for the episode. That's going to conclude the pregame show, episode 25, season three. We're going to move into quarter one, and we're going to talk about a World Cup, and then we're going to head into your area of expertise. We're going to talk a little bit about the MLB, but the World Cup's been going on, obviously, in Qatar. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. And I wanted to start off with a you know a fairly sad headline. Uh, Grant Wall, obviously, his name was making circulation the first few days of the World Cup because he wore a rainbow T-shirt um, in support of the LBGTQ community. Um, was detained for half an hour to an hour. We're not really sure what happened while he was in detainment, uh, but it came out that he died over the weekend uh, at a game, uh, had a heart attack apparently. Apparently he was sick with bronchitis, but his brother has come out and said that he thinks there's foul play involved. Very interesting story here, Teddy. Um, Grant Wall, massive American football reporter. I mean, what do you think about this whole situation? I think just the whole, you know, uh, all of it from day one of the World Cup where everyone, um, where they came out with their armbands and then they're saying, hey, no, you can't do this. And I think it was, it was a team Germany yep. who maybe came up with the, the, the smiley face. So I think, again, it's that bigger picture of like the human rights and just the equality across where there's clearly issues. And um, to hear about just one, the treatment of, of individuals, let alone getting arrested, we wouldn't see that in our world here ever. No. And then to hear the outcomes of a passing is even worse, right? And so um, does there need to be more looking into this? Probably, but at the same time, like if you know that places have these issues 
to what extent is there the just between, you know, um, standing up for what you believe in versus walking into your own, I guess, kind of troublesome. I know that might be controversy, but controversial, but you, you know, you know, what's going on there. And and I I don't know, that's, it's very tough, especially these topics are very sensitive and it's, it's very tragic and very sad that there's still places in this world that are not accepting and, 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 you know, not appreciative of people as people. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think from the angle I look at it, it's like, you've, you've got to, well, one, how to investigate this whole situation. I mean, I don't really know with the, obviously because it's across seas and it's, you know, it's in a different country, you know, how would the investigation go down? But in terms of like, if they, if, if the people in Qatar wanted to, you know, send a message or, you know, wanted this guy gone for, for, you know, putting this type of statement, political statement, um, on, on the public stage, could they kill him and and frame it and look make it look like a heart attack? In my opinion, you know, with you know with a blink of an eye, at the blink of an eye. I mean, you know, you could really you could easily you could slip something in his drink. I mean, these are powerful countries, and you're talking about a World Cup that they're hosting. I mean, I think it would be you know with ease that they could make this happen. I mean, and I think too, you know, it, it just it just all seems a little sketchy to me. He's 49 years old. Apparently, he's a you know he's a, he works out. He's a very healthy guy, and you know he drops with a heart attack. It, it just to me, it all doesn't add up very scary situation but like you said ted i mean you know when you know deep down that you know this is a real possibility and you're going to upset a lot of powerful people in a foreign country you know what are the benefits of this statement i'm going to make um you know you really have to weigh in the consequences and clearly you don't think that death is is going to be you know a and and who's saying to it could have been a freak heart attack it just seems very fishy to me but there's a lot of things to weigh out when you've got it when you're going to make a statement especially on foreign in, in foreign, you know, landscapes with different governing bodies and, and different rules and legislation. So scary situation there. But in terms of the football, in terms of the soccer, it's been fantastic. Friday, Teddy, we had Croatia versus Brazil. Croatia wins in penalty kicks. Argentina beats Netherlands in penalty kicks. There was a both very spirited games. Cristiano Ronaldo's in tears. He's not starting. Portugal fans are pissed. Croatia, man, unbelievable. So we've got Argentina versus Croatia, and then Morocco ends up beating Portugal one, or sorry, Morocco ends up beating um, Brazil. No, Morocco beats Portugal. I'm so messed up here, Teddy. So Croatia beats Brazil, Morocco beats Portugal, France beats England. So the four teams that are moving on, we've got Argentina versus Croatia, France versus Morocco. A little long-winded there, but what, what, how's your whole experience been with, in terms of consuming the World Cup, Teddy? I mean, I know it's weird hours of the day, especially for you. It would be right in the morning, right in the afternoon. Are you a big football fan? I mean, obviously, it brings the world together. There's nothing that unites the world like sport, but you know, how are you feeling about everything? You know, growing up, I always thought soccer was one of the most ridiculous sports. Uh, but over the last year and a bit, I had a chance to check out the Canadaverse uh who did they play in qualifiers uh, in Toronto? La- oh. Cambodia, maybe? Yeah. I don't know who it was, but anyway, so I, that was my first time ever seeing a soccer game and seeing how much actual skill, it's all about placement, right? You're just looking for that small open gap. Yep. So seeing that um, live was a really cool experience, and that actually kind of got me a little more inc- excited about, about this World Cup. No, I wasn't following it to the extent, but yeah, like games were always on at our office. We'd have big crowds in the lunchroom. Um, our our office uh, concourse set up a big viewing party with bleachers in the lobby. So that was kind of cool. You know, it was always on, but no, I wasn't really following too much, but I did have a chance to watch. I want to say it was Friday's game penalty kicks, last kicker, 
boots it off the post. Okay. You see that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I and do, I do believe that was reaction. His reaction to that, you know, he just dropped to his knees and like covered his face, and I was like, damn, like that reminded me of like grade eight basketball, junior high, looking <laughs> for my name on the list. Yeah. <laughs> I checked twice and I'm not there. And I was just crushed. But to see how spirited people get about this sport, let alone the fans, now you're the players, is just truly amazing. And I do see the community it brings. So overall, it's been cool to watch, but no, not following it to the extent. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. Like I'll have a game on in the background. And when I know a game is going to penalty kicks, I'll throw it on for sure. Like I think that's just electric. Um, but uh, Croatia beating Brazil and, and Morocco beating Portugal, I mean, massive, massive upsets. Um, but I'm you're, you're similar to me, Teddy. I mean, I don't, I mean, in terms of the sports landscape and, and you know, being an extreme fan, I mean, there's, you know, our plates are full when, you, when, we're, when we're looking at, you know, for me, anyway, I, I go with the, the Western World Big Four and then the PGA Tour, UFC. I mean, I don't really, you know, involve myself with the MLS and, you know, the Premier League and Champions League. Like, I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I will say the one thing that the World Cup has opened my eyes to, and I think I mentioned this on, on past episodes, is that it is very skillful. And, and the fact that, you know, I maybe used to revert to the fact that I was it was boring, but at any moment they can find that gap like you mentioned or they can, it just turns into a scoring opportunity in the blink of an eye so it is it's very strategic it's been enjoyable the one thing i think that you know people can argue that it's strategic or whatnot but the, the fact that they lay on the field for five minutes when they get stepped on it really irritates me that's one thing that i can't stand but no i've really enjoyed it and, and i'm certainly looking forward to canada hosting in 2026 because i do think that there's going to be some major development i do think that their appearance at the world cup has sparked some grassroots development of the game and you know there's going to be those some 16 17 year olds around the country right now like our alfonso davies maybe one or two of them that develop in the next four years and that can really help canada you know make some noise how insane is it that these soccer teams in europe are signing 12 year old kids <laughs> to millions and million dollar contracts and to see them just like literally that is a farm system there like it <laughs> yeah. is pretty insane and, and so for you to say you know 16 17 year old kids playing on this national team is well maybe probably 16 now getting ready for the next four years or yeah whatever. i like, would think yeah but yeah. It, it's amazing how young development starts with the with the soccer and uh it, it'll be cool but uh this the this is actually held across all of north america right mexico canada and us is that's right kind of played Yep. So that'll be cool to see how that kind of goes about and, and to see how much Canada really gets into it and, and, and everything. Absolutely. It is a little bit disrespectful to be completely honest with you. I mean, you think about the size of each country. I mean, like they each probably could hold an independent world cup. You'd think. Uh, yeah. What's up with that? Just North America's hosting this year and yeah. NATO? Yeah. NATO? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I don't. I, anyway, I, I don't really know the story behind that. I mean, you think about a small country like Qatar can host, but this is the issue, Ted. This is actually very high level sports talk that we're gonna get into here for the next two minutes. But when we think about a mega event like Qatar, you get the 500 employees dying, maybe even more, thousands of employees dying. You've got massive stadiums that hold. So what happens now in Qatar with these things? Now that this mega event has passed, it's it's been three weeks, and now all these stadiums, the the billions of dollars that you pumped in, what happens to all of these places? That is I mean, the the legacy place like Qatar, the legacy like, effect in Qatar. Like what what do you do with these things now? That's why I'm a big proponent of you pick a spot on every continent, or you know the populated continents, and you have a Olympic hub 
and a World Cup hub and these mega events and you just continue to improve them. And if, you know, if in Canada it's going to be in Vancouver or in Canada, if it's going to be in Toronto, we've got that area delegated. That's where we're going to host mega events and you keep developing in them and, and you and you plan your travel around that. I think it's just so like we look at Rio and Brazil with the Olympics there. I mean, it's it, it, it causes devastation and it's truly insane that 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 we continue to do this pick different spots on different you know different continents and we're going to just build this brand new uh mega stadium complex and they're never going to be used ever again yeah it's uh you know the short term oh hey we're gonna a lot of economic injection yeah okay great but like you said let alone people have died in qatar with this so (laughs) you're looking at places where they're establishing huge infrastructure investments in countries that can barely afford economic conditions for their people in general. I think that is pretty wild to see, but you know, you're spot on. If you had a place that was developed, like this is, this is your go-to spot. You can continue to develop that. And I look in Calgary, my hometown, you know, we built Canadian Olympic park for the 1988 Olympics. Yeah. Not all the stuff is still being used. But those ski jumps are still being used, whether it's by summer camps, winter camps, or actual ski pine jumpers, alpine jumpers, they're still used for that. But that's also because I feel like in a city like Calgary, there's people who will use that facility. But how can you just have one large soccer field for one relatively smaller country? I don't know. That is interesting because what is going to happen? But I did actually see an article on Bloomberg about a uh, stadium that was built, repurposed out of shipping containers. And cool. uh, it was a, a big billion dollar. Uh, and the aspect, the idea was essentially that, um, you know, it'll cost this much to make, but then all these pieces can be broken down and then recycled and shipped elsewhere. So, you know, if they are making those kind of economic developments within the infrastructure of the stadium at Qatar, and who knows, maybe they do, maybe they have state of the art um, and there's some harvesting solar technology, harvesting power. I don't know. Great. But if not, like, yeah, it's just going to sit there and rust. And I'm going to see that on my it's abandoned page in, in, 12 years on Instagram. I know, man. It's, uh, it is really sad to see. And I, I mean, who knows maybe in Qatar that, uh, you know, they're looking to host other mega events in that stadium, but you know, I just, I, I find it highly unlikely that they'll be able to host an Olympics and I find it highly well, unlikely. People going to want to go back after, you know, the things we've talked about with the deaths and, and the unacceptance of people. It's, it's such a shame. And I mean, I mean the entire, the entire kind of, you know, situation and, and how this has transpired, how Qatar got to host a FIFA world cup is it's it's beyond uh unmoral and, and unethical but that's uh for another time um but yeah so we've got the semifinals going on uh, saturday we'll have the bronze medal game and, and and sunday the world cup will be wrapped up uh my prediction uh teddy is that france will will take on argentina uh, i think that would be the most exciting for um you know for football fans but we'll see what happens uh moving into the mlb continue on in quarter one uh the jays signed kevin kiermeyer and i was interested with this trade because i have always enjoyed this guy i think he's a fiery spire another left-handed bat a bat that the jays desperately need in their lineup um, I think he's played center field, has he not? Teddy's won three three gold gloves. Um, stud, big signing for the Blue Jays. Hopefully we'll be able to replace Teoscar Hernandez. Yeah, so Teoscar Hernandez, obviously people are going to be upset, like fan favorite for sure. Uh, he, he was good, but I think Kiermaier is going to, like, he's a stud. Yeah. Um, you're right, he's a center fielder. There was a reading report on... Uh, I think he's in like the top 90% uh, speed wise for guys. And he's got to be like 30, 
233 probably. Nice. So to be that age and still being that fast is is absolutely insane. Um, I mean, I know that people were hoping to get more uh, of like a left-handed bat for the Blue Jays. I know the fans are kind of saying that. But overall, I think when you kind of look at the Jays in general, if they can, again, solidify their pitching, they've got the bats. Now they've added this stud of a center fielder who's also got experience. As you mentioned, he's got, he's got, he's accredited to that. You know, he's got his Wilson gold glove, all that good stuff. And <laughs> so to what extent is he going to be able to also bring not only play, but leadership to the younger group of guys who are now starting to realize, Hey, we've had two runs at this. We can compete, but we just don't have those final pieces. Um, overall, I'll be excited to see how many Kiermaier jerseys are uh, bopping around um, Rogers center and come, come April and, and have to do a refollow up uh, come, come game time. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no doubt, no doubt about it. So, I mean, we look at the Jays and they they've lost uh, Teoscar Hernandez, but um, you know, do you think they're done making some big splashes, Ted? I mean, a lot of rumors around maybe Bo Bichette moving to that second base position. Um, you know, potentially getting a you know a more quality defensive shortstop, but maybe they're going to stick with Bo there. I know he wants to play shortstop. Uh, is the pitching rotation solidified? I mean, you brought in Kikuchi last offseason, which is an absolute tire fire. You got Rob Strickland. Who was a nice stripling? Who was a nice surprise? I mean, Alec Manoa is a staple. Gosman's a staple. Um, but are they going to bring in someone to really round out the rotation? I mean, obviously the bullpen help can always use um, some reinforcements. So, what do you think? You know, for the rest of the offseason, what are the Jays going to be looking to do? Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point, right? Like, is is always you always want to have depth in your in your bullpen, and we do have some solid starters on that lineup. I say we because I'm a Jays fan. Yeah. Um, but when you talk about Bobachet, like I think that would be a very bad move to get rid of him. Yeah. Moving him to second base, I think, is a, is an easy transition. As as especially if you're going from short to second, that throw at shortstop is 180 feet across the diamond. You're cutting that down to 70 feet. Yeah. You know, you do see Bo make make errors, but he is young. He's flashy. He's I love his play. I love his style, and I think that his bat is the number one thing. Like that guy just mashes, right? So you want to keep that bat in the lineup, but you also want to keep him happy. Now, if his confidence is down and you move him over to second base and he's continuing to make errors, that's a different story. But I think that overall, you know, the depth of the Jays right now, they've got a solid pitching rotation. As you mentioned, they picked up some good guys previous year and now they're trying to strengthen their bullpen. You know, I think that we'll kind of be seeing exactly as, yeah, who is going to be their final kind of candidates uh, and have they solidified who's going to be taken over? Is Chapman staying there at third? Uh, and then who is going to be their kind of big bats to rely on again? If it's going to be Vlad as, as you know, kind of their big power DH guy with Tioscar out. Um, but I think what I love about the Jays is that they swing it. Like throughout that, you know, you look at uh, Danny Jansen, their catcher that guy has such a raw slugging percentage for the number of games. If that guy could stay healthy, he would be game changer. Um, but so I think uh, just trying to like, like you're saying, it's like the defensive side is, is, is something they need to look into. They're young, which is great. And I think as they start to develop and, and set themselves up, what you see a lot in baseball is actually um, the, the late season signings. Hey, we're going on a run here. So let's load up. And the Jays did that when they brought on price and, and yep. all those big dogs in that run. Right. So I think uh, people get a little baseball fans get a little too excited in the off season because at the end of the day, you have nine individuals that need to mesh and work together to win as a team. And you have 162 games to do that. So I kind of wash, you know, the, the, the month of April, the first little bit, 
you know, you just seeing who's slow, who's shaky. Then all of a sudden, a bunch of names disappear off the roster. You pick that back up in July and August, and that's kind of when you're going to see those moves. And and I think that as important as it is in the off season. I don't think fans should be getting too excited about what they're doing right now because it's all going to come down to once they're actually in action and playing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I look at the division. Um, <clears throat> obviously, Baltimore is a team to, to watch. I mean, they had a kind of a Cinderella story last year, a lot of cap room. Um, but Boston, I mean, they don't look like they're going to be making any strides next year. I mean, I think that Yankees signing of Aaron Judge, I honestly do think that that works in the Jays' favor long-term. I mean, I don't think that a nine-year deal for a guy like Aaron Judge is going to be attractive, especially at that pay grade after like two, three years. I was saying in the last episode, I mean, I think that that might get ugly fairly quick in New York. Um, we look at the Rays. They're always a competitive team, but the Jays have a real opportunity here. I think their window is still open for that two, three years. I mean, that division is always a bloodbath. Don't get me wrong. But I think that the MLB schedule is changing a little bit where they're going to be playing less in-division games, which, again, will help the Blue Jays long-term. I'm excited to see what other changes they might make, Ted. Um, they brought in, in a, a manager, uh, an assistant manager, and he'll... Uh, did, Ted, do you know his name at the top of your head? No, I don't. Uh, looking but, him up right now. But they brought him in, and apparently he's got some some John notori- Schneider. John Schneider. Well, Schneider's is the GM or the the manager. But they brought in another guy who has he's a, he's a, maybe even a Hall of Fame player. Uh, I forget his name. That's all right. We'll, we'll that's for another time. But it, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, Ted and I. I wanted to I wanted to talk G's uh, with Ted because I know he follows him. He goes to the ballpark a ton. Um, but it is going to be interesting. Obviously, like you said, Ted. I mean, they've made their move. They got Kiermaier, uh, maybe some other pitching additions, but I mean, midseason, if they've got a good feeling that this team's ready to, to you know, make some noise in the playoffs, that's when maybe some some more blockbuster action uh, will happen. But New York Mets, obviously the Steve Pierce owner, he loves dropping Benjamins on this team, but they signed Kodai Senga. Five years, $75 million from Japan. So, you know, I've got mixed feelings. Japan, let's go. Yeah. So these, these Japanese pitchers, feelings. uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, obviously there's the, the, the Otanis and, and, but I'm always scarred by Daisuke Matsuyaka, um, um, you know, from the Red Sox and the, in the Gairu ball and coming over and really wasn't that great. But, um, is this guy, you know, is this guy a sure thing? Uh, you know, last said the Mets getting a real star here. See, that's, you You know, whenever you're bringing in pitchers, you, you just never know. Right? Yeah. And when you look at uh, a Shohei Otani, I think is a complete anomaly. There's no Babe Ruth nowadays, right? Yeah. But the what I love about when you see players come from the Japanese league into the MLB is, and, and I think you kind of saw some of that stuff at the World Cup, right? Like the honor of cleaning up after themselves is like the regiment of the Japanese culture and the humbleness that they have is that when they have that opportunity, they work so hard and they, they play. And you look at guys like Hideki Matsui, right? Like yep. I look at, and, and these are kind of just the careers that they do have and Ichiro Suzuki, right? You know, when you look at the careers they have and the fans that they build, uh, the Asian Japanese fans, especially like when they go and play in Seattle, um, that aspect of growing the game, I think, is huge for um, a signing like this. And, and you know, 75 million bucks, it does sound like a lot. But in baseball terms, like, I'm not sure if that really is a huge play. But the risk is, like, you're bringing over a pitcher. And 
what if he needs Tommy John within a year? Or what if he's just injury prone and boom, there goes your side. So um, pitchers are always dangerous, but I love that they're one, you know, bringing in uh, a player from an international league at such a high number, because now it's like, Hey, is this guy got the stuff and is he got what he's going to prove? So I really do hope to see him dominate and, and see what it's like come, especially come preseason. Yeah, like I don't think it's that it's that big of a gamble. Like the 12, 13 million bucks a year for a starting pitcher. I mean, that's really not that aggressive. Um, so yeah, Is I it mean, seventy five million total. Yeah, yeah. So five years. I mean, I don't. I'm not very good at math, Ted. I've been staring at it for the last five minutes trying to do trying to calculate it while you were talking and I couldn't get it done. But anyway, we're gonna move on. Um, yeah. So uh, the Mets signed Kodai Senga from Japan. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how. Uh, I mean, they'll need one because they got rid of uh, Jake Degrom, who I know was injured and banged up. But um, Carlos Correa is still looming. Uh, he is a free agent. Uh, would look pretty good uh, in Toronto. I always still judge Carlos Correa. This is just so cringy on my part, but. It pisses me off that during the World Series celebration, he proposed to his wife. That still sits really poorly with me, man. Like that guy, I think he's such a clown for doing that. Uh, but Carlos Correa, you know, still has the opportunity no to sign. Um, too. Oh, yeah, big time prenups. There was prenups left, right, and center. I mean, that guy's making serious coin. <laughs> he gave her his ring here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's all you got. Um, but. Uh, yeah, Carlos Correa. I mean, is this guy gonna? Is he back in in Minnesota, or is he like that's that's too small of a market for a guy like me? I've heard Chicago. I mean, where's this guy gonna end up? So this guy's like what? He's relatively young, right? I think he's our age, give or take, right? And so he's got a pretty solid. He's hitting just under maybe I think he's about two eighty career. Yep. And I mean, the thing is, like when you're looking around, kind of seeing where do you want to go as a shortstop? You're young. You're kind of in that mid peak of your career. You're coming off uh, close to a season high. Uh, you know, he's getting lots of at bats a year too, right? So like the guy's definitely got talent. So if it's really him trying to shop around and say, yo, you know, I'm looking for the best deal or I'm looking for a team that's going to win. Is he going to be a game changer? You know, like a, I'm trying to think, is he a guy that you can just slot into the lineup and he's going to pick your team up and take you to that next level? Maybe, maybe not, but I think overall, like this guy, like, yes, he's good. Like, I think he's quick. He's, 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 he swings it. He's, he's got good defensive stats, but if you're trying to be too picky, like you're saying, there's, there's always guys that are going to be looking to get there. And then that's another thing too, is like salary caps, all these other, uh, sorry, not salary caps, but just contracts is like, can, can you afford what this guy's asking? And in his mind, is he saying that, Hey, you know, I've, I've made it, I've competed, I, I need more. I don't know. So not much to say about Carlos Pereira from my end. Yeah. It doesn't sound like uh, Teddy, you're overly bullish on, on him. And, and I mean, I, I, I would say I'm, I'm more than a casual ML, MLB fan. I know he's got some talent, but I mean, in terms of, you know, his, his price tag and what you're going to have to be, you know, willing to spend on, on a guy like this guy, you, you know, you want to make sure that he's going to be paying the dividends. And if you don't think that, uh, you know, he's going to be paying those and hopefully a team like the Jays, you know, stay far away from him. But you know that there's going to be a team willing to, you know, pay him, uh, you know, the, uh, the bag just to, just to, just for namesake, uh, let alone, um, you yeah. know, just, just for Jersey sales and everything like that. But, uh, exactly. But, uh, all right, Teddy, let's move into quarter two. The, uh, I mean, we're, uh, this is, this is not the pace that I'm, I'm, I'm used to Teddy, but I'm enjoying it. Okay. Like, 
No, no, no. Gosh, like I, 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 for me, when I'm doing these monologues by myself and not having a co-host, I'm just, it feels like I'm rushing through headlines and flying through things, but it's nice to kind of sit back and actually think about the topic that I'm talking about, let alone not just listening to my voice talk back and forth, but we'll move into the NFL here quickly and, and we won't dive into the entire slate of Sunday. I sometimes dive into each game. That's, that's kind of, I moved away from that because people watch their NFL. They, they check the scores. They know what happened, but some massive headlines last week, Teddy Baker Mayfield, who's a guy who's loud. He's in the media a ton. He asked for a release out of Carolina. They told him he was going to be the third-string quarterback. He said, screw that. I want out. He gets released. One team makes a waiver claim, and it's the Los Angeles Rams, the quarterback-needy team. Obviously, the reigning Super Bowl favorites having a terrible season. But he comes in there, signs on a Tuesday, arrives, I think, Wednesday morning, starts for them on Thursday night. And I don't think I can stress enough how ridiculous that is. The quarter debut. The quarterback position in football demands a lot. You've got to understand what every single person on that offense is doing on every single play. You've got to be able to coordinate a snap count so that you've got to be able to send every single player off the line at the same time. And Baker Mayfield came in and won that game, did a two-minute offense from his own end zone. It was absolutely outrageous, Ted. To be able to get pretty much signed off the street and start a game and win, I mean, it's 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 outrageously skillful, and, and he deserves a lot of credit because his name gets dragged through the mud a ton in the media. Yeah. And you're, you're a former QB one as well from Horton high. So, you know, exactly <laughs> right. And to, to be able to come in and, and to uh, communicate with guys, that many guys on a field is absolutely insane. And let alone, like you said, hell of a performance, he got the win. And it's just kind of like, yo, this guy probably came out with vengeance, but it just goes to show like what a third string QB might actually look like if that's what he was in their eyes. And it's just like, well, then what does the fourth string QB look like as well? Kind of moving around. But I, I think that's pretty impressive. Just the communication side to be able to, to run with these guys with, you know, such short notice. No, oh, absolutely. He, he seems to be, you know, better when his back's against the wall. Like he's a transfer walk on at college. He won the Heisman trophy. Yeah, he's a Heisman, right? Yeah. So like, I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, a lot of athletes are probably like this too, but they perform a lot better when their backs are against the wall, when it's pretty much this or nothing like this, this is it, this is it for you. And he comes out and he puts a splash, but as soon as an athlete maybe gets comfortable in the everyday routine of things and their job security is through the roof, maybe they don't perform, especially in the NFL. I mean, the quarterback position, it's just so rare to have top tier quarterbacks that are going to be taking the job at, for teams for 10 plus years. I mean, it's a, it's a rare story, but Baker Mayfield, unbelievable on Thursday night, gets it done for the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, I will mention the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, what a, it's just, it's disgusting what their franchise continues to do. I mean, they're, they're just, they're hyped up every year. You think that this is going to be the season. They bring in the, the Patriots offensive coordinator to be their head coach and they've been absolutely dog shit. So, I mean, I, I think more or less it's a collapse on the Las Vegas Raiders side of things more or less than it was Baker Mayfield winning the game. But nevertheless, the Detroit Lions, the Lions started off the season one and six. You thought, okay, maybe this team is going to be completely a dumpster fire like they always are, but they're six and one in their last seven games. They beat the Vikings who were 10 and two. They opened up as the favorite, which was surprising, but uh, the Detroit Lions, man, this is a nice story. This is a team, Ted, this is a, probably like an Arizona Coyotes comparable where they are shit year after yeah. year after year. And this is a team that might make the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's always that too. And uh, just to see here and all the, people because Detroit's right across the the border here that's right, right? and so I that's got a right. lot of friends flying down uh and just even they also had uh 
didn't they have to host uh completely irrelevant but buffalo had to move their game to detroit because of snow like three weeks ago but yeah. no i i think uh yeah i think the uh the 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 tigers uh, or the detroit uh the lions the lions i think they're uh they're a hell of a story too right like in and like you said one and six to bounce back now they're six or they're six and one in their last seven yep and they're taking on the ten and two is is gritty. And I, I just like, I'd love to hear just kind of what kind of conversations are going on. You bring in a new coach and, and kind of what does it turn around and, and how does that spark them? Definitely, man. Definitely. It's a, it seems to be a culture issue in Detroit. <clears throat> a guy by the name of Luke Wilson uh, works for TSN. Now he uh, played, won a Super Bowl with Seattle as a tight end. He went over to Detroit or and played as a tight end in Detroit. Uh, but he talks about the culture in Detroit and how it was just disgusting. You know, just it was just a loser's mentality the, it, from the you know from the owner down. It uh, and we see that a lot in sports. You know, a perennial loser. Uh, I think about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, is it the players? Is it the is it the you know management or is it just the full on culture of the team, culture of the organization? You know, once it gets to playoff time, certainly not the regular season. The regular season has been fine. We'll get into the Toronto Maple Leafs later, but is it a culture thing where it's like you know you come here? Like I think about the Boston Bruins, the culture they've built. And it's a brotherhood, and you put it on the line night in, night out. If you don't, you're not going to be playing. Like, it's, it's, it seems like Detroit's kind of building towards that, the lines this year of like, you know, we, let's go to war together. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that warrior mentality. And, and you'd think that that would come second nature to all these athletes. You'd think that that culture would be uniform across all leagues. Like, let's go to war and let's go win this thing. But it's not. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's rare in, in sports. So, Anyway, it seems like the Detroit Lions are they're in a good spot. We'll see if they can continue to keep winning. The uh, the Dallas Cowboys just quickly survived uh, a scare versus the Houston Texans. They were 17 and a half point uh, underdogs. I mean, I, I mentioned it uh, last episode, last uh, early last week, Ted. I mean, that that is outrageous in the NFL for a team to be 17.5 uh, point underdogs. Uh, they obviously covered that number, but Dallas ends up winning. The Eagles, Ted. If you're unfamiliar with how the Philadelphia Eagles are playing this year, they're 11 and one. Front of the show, Andrew Peters, excited. He's ecstatic. Some would say, uh, but the Eagles are the real deal. This is a team that's going to be making some serious noise. Probably the the Super Bowl favorite at the current time. Um, let's move into Tom Brady because Tom Brady sucks right now. Tom Brady's 45 years old, Ted. He got absolutely lit up by the San Francisco 49ers. His hometown, San Francisco 49ers. He ended up buying like 150 tickets for the game, but. What do you think of Tom Brady, Ted, for, for a guy who, who just kind of casually checks in on the NFL? Is it time for Tom Brady to hang him up? Like, are we saying this guy straight up got divorced because he played an extra season of football? Is that the, is that for sure? I think all, all, all signs are pointing that it had a, you know, a, a big factor into that. Yeah. I mean, Giselle was pissed off. I mean, you know, for good reason. You mean, you think she's doing all the childcare. She's got three of them. One, not even hers. Um, you know, and, uh, and yeah, this guy's getting beat up every week. And this like guy's just going and playing football, probably getting road K's, you know, it's like, this guy is, <laughs> You know, he's just lighting it up and, uh, you know, being like, there's not too many athletes. There's not too many people who walk the planet like Tom Brady does, you know, and just in terms of every single place you go, your people are starstruck and yeah. And, and I mean, there's just real no reason for him to continue to play. He doesn't look, so, he's not as dominant as he used to be. Do you think this kind of comes back to uh, the culture kind of talk, you know, of why is not everyone saying, let's get ready to go to war. And then this guy's saying like, Oh, I can still lead these boys in war. And it's like, man, you should be beating the drum in the back, like getting us fired up, like take a coaching role or something like that. And yeah. I mean, has it, 
like has his performance drastically changed yes from what i've seen like he's <clears throat> losing and it yep. seems like anytime it comes down to tom brady though which i don't think is fair is it's always tom brady and the patriots won but it was always Tom Brady's fault when the Patriots lost. Right. So yep. I feel like, yes, like the QB is, is always held at that high standard, but then that standard is almost like two X when they're on the down skid. So, um, but yeah, like, dude, the guy's 45. How can he keep getting absolutely sacked by 300 pound men? Like you got three kids. I, th- I do agree. I think it's time to stick to Instagram because he puts up great videos. Yeah, man. I think that this is time for him to hang it up. And I, I mean, he, he came out this week and he said that who knows what happens next year. I, I probably see him returning because he hasn't fallen off a cliff. Like he has regressed. Clearly he's 45 years old, but like, excuse me, he still plays at a high level. Like he still has the ability to win games. I mean, we've seen him come back and have his vintage moments this season, but there's going to be teams that like, I guess the way I'll put it, Ted is that he's better than, a lot of starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Like he's still in that top 15 quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the NFL. Like just the intangibles that he brings of understanding his offense, understanding what defenses are trying to do to him, making the right decisions with the football, protecting the football. He still makes all of these at a very high level. So teams will want Tom Brady next year. So it'll be the decision that he has to make. I just think personally for him, like you've climbed every mountain. I'm not sure. I don't know if the records that he set are unbreakable, but seven Super Bowl rings. I mean, a team franchises only have six rings. Uh, the other, the most by another player is only four. I mean, he's, he's almost doubled that number. It's, it's really astonishing what he's been able to do obviously clearly in the NFL, but yeah, we'll see what happens, Ted. Uh, Tom Brady will, I mean, he'll continue on. They're going to win their division and, and he'll be in the playoffs. So we'll see if uh, they can get things sorted out, but they look like absolute shit. I'm pissed off because the Buccaneers were one of my best bets of the, of the week and they got stomped. But uh, Teddy, let's move into quarter three here. We're going to talk about the NBA. Now I'm interested to hear about your, uh, your thoughts on this. So Toronto hosted, I, I mentioned this last podcast, but Toronto hosted the Los Angeles Lakers last week and LeBron James sat out. Anthony Davis sat out. So their lineup that they started was completely depleted. It was bunch of names that nobody wants to watch what happens for the toronto fans this is the one time the lakers come into town you pay fifteen hundred dollars to sit lower bowl you know you pay that a month ago and then you know come game time all the stars are sitting out like that's a big problem in my opinion for the nba and so uh these uh like when was it announced that these guys aren't playing uh it would have been it would have been it was on a back-to-back so i mean really the day of kind of thing yeah the, the morning of yeah okay yeah because i was gonna say i had a lot of friends uh either reach out asking if i wanted to go to the game yep. or saying hey i'm going to the game like picked up last minute tickets so i'm curious like you know to that extent and yep. uh, was that a, a factor of hey opening lineups released now people are are just offloading tickets so now my friends get to go see the games yep obviously if you're a basketball fan you are going to be upset it's the same thing as like you know you live in florida and mcdavid and the oilers come to play end of the season and and they scratch them like you want to watch that right yeah. it's also going to drive views right so um I, I i mean i haven't heard much going on in the city about people being upset with that but i definitely agree is like that's part of the game of like growing the game is like experiencing that and seeing that and that that kind of sucks but like you said back-to-back games like at least slot them in get them some minutes get them something i don't know but again, you're also a team like, yo, this at the end of the day, the Lakers, they're a business. And if they're saying, yo, we need to rest these guys because we've got a bigger opponent than, than the Raptors, you know, that that's where it is. 
I get that because at the end of the day, like you need a, your, your goal is what to retain talent yep. and win championships. And, um, I, I, I get it. Yeah, for sure. I think my, uh, my biggest issue or my biggest kind of, um, you know, I, I would say how I would solve this issue, Ted, is that I would either, if you find that across the league, there's injuries across the league, there's, there's people with, you know, load management all the time, it's no games, well then change it to 50 games. Change the regular season from 82 to 50 games. Okay, you want all the revenue from the 82 games. That's not enough money. Okay, well, let's, for all the award winners, for all the first team, second team, third team, all-stars, they've got to play a minimum of 65 regular season games. And interesting here enough, Ted, is that the first team, second team, third team, all-star, all NBA players, that is how you earn higher money contracts in the NBA. So you've got to play a minimum of 65 games throughout the regular season. So LeBron, now that you're playing 45 games a year, no, you're not eligible for these higher paid contracts. You're not eligible to be at the all-star game because you're only playing half the season. Like I really do think that the NBA is struggling right now with this load management, this injury management. You know, you're paid hundreds of millions of dollars to play night in night out this is your job like i mean it you know i get it but a team like the lakers like what are you saving up for like you're third last place like you're not making a playoff run you're not a championship contender but there are other markets who are paying big money to see your stars play so and i get it you know i see both sides of the argument but i just think that the nba does need to address this because it is becoming a big problem i mean there is there's stars that are missing massive amounts of the season and if you can't play a back-to-back then don't don't schedule back-to-backs Sorry, a bit of a rant there, Ted. No, no, I, 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 I don't disagree. Yeah. So anyway, there were some, there were some um, massive headlines made, Teddy, this week. Uh, tons of uproar. So, I mean, it's hard to compare this <clears throat> type of situation in other sports. But so in M- the NBA, if a game is out of hand, if it's if it's caught from, you know, it's 125 to 100, and uh, you know the other team's going down the court and they slam a slam dunk or they put up a layup. This is he- ooped it to himself and threw it down disgusting zion williamson absolute foolish dunk but it's the disrespect and i mean i'm for it don't don't golden Golden warriors is that right no no he's on the new orleans pelicans so but rudy gobert did it again uh for the minnesota timberwolves he get it he he did it against the utah jazz ted so i mean is it disrespectful to go down and throw a dunk when you're up by 20 or is it just like to the other team don't don't go down by 20. Like I, 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 I see both ends of the spectrum. Obviously if you're on the team, you're pissed, but it's like, you know, you're pissed because you lost. Like, don't be a sore loser, man. He's just showcasing his hops, like, you know, yeah. or run I, him down. I think basketball is a swag sport where they are that talented to get up there and do that kind of shit. Like, I feel like that's when you should be like going Harlem Globetrotters. Like if these yes. guys have already checked out and they're giving you the opportunities. Yep. Like throw it down. That's how I see it. And, and I mean, as a baseball player, if you're up in a game by 10 runs, eight runs, whatever, the kind of unwritten rule is, you know, don't steal bases. Yeah. Well, at least in baseball, like if that happens, my pitcher's just going to hit the next guy in the head. Yeah. But yep. like in basketball, there's no real way to hold accountability uh, 100%. without straight up getting ejected from the game or getting a suspension. Right. So, um, different story i think in baseball there's that showmanship i'd agree with that but within basketball like why do you think they have the harlem grove trotters and if you're going to give them the lane like let the fans have some fun and i love seeing the benches reactions right regardless if they're like i can't believe you just did that but when they throw down they all get up they all follow like you know like oh man so i think i love it i think it's good 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I just think that, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I've never played uh, basketball, uh, you know, at a competitive level, but I mean, in terms of like, you know, he's got a few seconds left to showcase something and, and make some noise and blow up social media. Let it go down. I mean, Zion's, you know, getting his flowers. So I thought it was an exciting play. Obviously, the Suns, there was a bench clearing. You know, people were pissed. But guess what? The Pelicans played them two days later and beat them again. So the New Orleans Pelicans, they're making some noise. This is a team that's uh, very dangerous. Um, so I'm excited about uh, about that. And I'm excited for Zion Williamson, obviously former number one overall pick, to be healthy for the first time in two years. Uh, Wasn't that guy the same size in, like, grade 10? Yes. Yeah. He was the guy that was making rounds on social media in like grade 10, like throwing footballs, throwing down dunks. Like this guy's been in the public spotlight for years now. Um, but Teddy, just finally here in quarter three, uh, the match was held on Saturday night. So obviously golf fans know that they've been doing the match uh, these days. It's been Phil and Tiger in the past. They've had some Tom Brady and Steph Curry have been on, uh, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, there's been a plethora of different golfers and athletes that have done the match. Uh, but they played it under the lights. Uh, they lit up a golf course in Florida. It was Tiger Woods and Rory uh, versus uh, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas obviously beat the wheels off of them. Uh, but, Teddy, I mean, there wasn't really much to watch. Like, I was watching this, and, um, you know, I get it. It, it, it kind of gives you a, a different light into these guys' personalities, and there's a bunch of back and forth. But um, I didn't watch it too closely. Like, I didn't, I didn't really get the thrill and, and the enjoyment of, of just a regular golf event. Um, you know, I, I do like watching these guys, per, their personalities blossom and, and get to see that inside look at Tiger, especially. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, in terms of, you know, I didn't think Tiger's game was that tight, which is worrisome for me. Um, but, uh, but Jordan and Justin Thomas beat up on Rory in the, uh, in the match. Uh, but this week, Teddy, is the PNC Championship. It's a family event. And Tiger and Charlie, have you seen Charlie Woods? Yeah, he strokes it, eh? He's such a, he's cute. Yeah, so, I mean, is it too early to say that this guy's going to have a PGA Tour career? I mean, unless if he follows in his dad's footsteps and starts absolutely tearing it up at age whatever, <laughs> 14, like, yeah. yeah, he's hooped, but... Uh, I think, you know, when I, I think about how the match went over the the weekend, like you mentioned, Tiger wasn't looking too tight. Like, I don't think he's played since July, like in a competitive match. So that yep. could maybe be something in that sense. But um, I agree. Like, the it wasn't as exciting as the ones you've seen before. But I do like the back end where it's just like, you know, just listening to them chirp each other in the carts and whatnot and yep. all that side of things. But it will be cool to see kind of um, how how Tiger and, and, and little Charlie start to, to progress um, as they do more of those kind of like father sons or even just Tiger on the bag. Yep. I think if, you know, it's not one of those child actor Macaulay Culkin situations, um, there's a great opportunity because golf, like, you know, what's great about golf is it's, it's you, like you are the only individual that's going <clears> to <throat> go in there and beat yourself up mentally to win or to lose. So uh, if he doesn't have a strong mental and he's going to have issues and, and not to say that he doesn't, but it's like, he's got so many factors that we as average people don't know what he's experiencing. He's yep. on social media. He's got millions of dollars. Like that's stuff that we'll never know how will in, in cracked us. So if, as long as that doesn't get to his head, I think it'll be really cool to, to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, whether tiger likes it or not, Charlie's going to be in the spotlight, uh, you know, for his entire 
career. His entire journey will be documented across all sports social media. So, I mean, he's going to have every opportunity, though, Ted. I think that that's one thing I will note is that in terms of the repetition and the work that you have to put in and, and all of the preparation that it will take to become a successful golfer, it will all be on the plate delivered to Charlie in its finest form. So I think that will help him out. But yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's it's such a unique game in the sense where, you, like you said, it's just you. There's nobody helping you out. Once you go onto the battlefield, it's just you. And, and it's you between the ears. I mean, a lot, a lot of people on this planet are very talented golfers. But... When it comes tournament time, when it when it when it comes time to tee it up, and it really matters, people shove you know berry sized horns down their throat and just can't handle it. So um, it's uh, you know it, it, Davison coming in, yeah, exactly. So it is what it is. It's such a fascinating story to me. I'm excited for watch the PNC Championship this weekend. Um, Charlie and Charlie and or Tiger and Charlie will be alive and well. Um, I did want to mention too, Ted, this is just going to be a quick plug uh, for all the listeners. I'm going to be plugging this on social media all week or for the next month. Uh, the PGA Tour one and done is live. Download Run Your Pool or head over to runyourpool.com. I'll be posting on social media later on uh, the the uh, login and, and um, you know pool code. So what it is is that every single event this season, you'll pick one golfer and then you will not be able to use that golfer again. But whatever that golfer earns at that tournament that week, you will accumulate the earnings from that week from that golfer and whoever ends up with the most money at the end of the season will get a free jersey of your choice from Run Your Pool. I'm also going to send out a merch, merch package from the Deal Intermission. So the Run Your Pool will be live um, later on today. Uh, so yesterday for the listeners. So uh, make sure you go check out the one and done, the PGA Tour one and done. Teddy, let's move into quarter four here. It is NHL action. we got to give the Toronto Maple Leafs their flowers. I'm very hard on them uh, during the podcast. I, I think they're a soft uh, bunch of players. I think they've got a great regular season formula. I think when it comes to the playoffs, they don't have that nitty gritty uh, style of hockey that it takes to win in the playoffs. Uh, but Mitch Marner, he's calling 22 straight games. I think now with a point, uh, they sit only, I think, three points back in the Boston Bruins. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they're without, you know, three of their best defensemen. They're without um, TJ Brody. I think he just made a return. More without uh, Morgan Riley. They're without Jake Muzzin. They, they, they've been fantastic, Ted. I mean, what's the buzz like at Toronto over the Maple Leafs? People are loving it. Obviously, I was pretty upset uh, on Saturday as they beat the Flames in overtime. True. Um, but everyone is pretty excited about Mitch Marner kind of just bopping around. And all the news is, can this guy keep it going? Can it keep going? Um, I didn't care that the Leafs had won or lost, but I was excited that, you know, Marner had continued his point streak. So, um, but when you just see the media coverage, what I've noticed about Toronto media in general is that they are always so hard on their teams and same with the fans. But um, seeing one that they are rolling, and I think Mitch Marner and this point streak is giving the uh, the community something to build around. So people are pretty fired up. And I think like, like you said, yeah, you know, they're missing a bunch of their, their, their top three D, but TJ Brody did come back, put up a point in his first game too. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, can they continue to do this? Because each year they crush it, they crush it, they crush it. They get to play to, to playoffs postseason and they just can't hold, but you know, maybe that there is a little bit more vengeance. Um, when I think of Austin Matthews, like that guy is filthy and I'm sure he's probably got a little extra fire in his belly that Marner has a 21 point game streak going on where he's probably like, A, I want to keep doing this, but B, why the hell is no one talking about me anymore? For sure. Um, so overall, like, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, you just have that you have a, you have to have a feeling that uh, as soon as that streak ends or Marner kind of starts to doodle down. 
It'll flip over to Austin Matthews and he'll go on an absolute heater. I mean, to end his year last year to get to that 60 goal marker. Remember he had like, he was scoring at least a goal a game. I mean, this guy, and he hasn't really turned it on uh, yet this season. So I, Willie Nealer, Willie Nealer had a five point night on Saturday. I mean, the Leafs do look very good. And you know why? It's because of their stars. They're, they will always be, you know, the way their cap is set up. As long as Marner, Matthews, Nealander, and Tavares are buzzing and they get sufficient goaltending, which they've gotten from uh, Simsonov and Murray as of late, um, you know, they're going to be all set. But I mean, it, it's, it, it is sad because of the drought that they're on that none of this will matter at the end of the day. You know, it'll all come down. All the chips will be at the center of the table come April. And that's just the reality of being a Toronto Maple Leaf fan and it just a Toronto Maple Leaf player. Uh, Chris Letang, this is an interesting story, Teddy. Had his second stroke of his life two weeks ago. And he's returned to action and played the most minutes. After two weeks after having his second stroke, played the most minutes for the Pittsburgh Penguins. One, what's Chris Letang doing having a stroke? His second stroke. And two, what's How he doing? What's he doing back in the lineup playing the most minutes for the team? So did he have the he didn't have this stroke on the bench or anything? I think it was during I, a I morning skate. It was during a morning skate. And, shit. and apparently they're just minor strokes that he's having, but it's so but scary. Still, yeah. And then you go and you, these guys, like you're, you're I'm supposed to have 30 second shifts. Your heart rate's going, what, 180, 190 <laughs> clicks a minute and you're bopping it. And so he's, I don't know. And, and that's also something where you kind of think, um, I don't know, is this like, what? What is going on, man? It's uh, it's something because that he's relatively old, no? Yeah, well, yeah, I, an NHL player. Yeah, what is he? 35, 36? I mean, he, he just signed a, a deal with uh, the Penguins. Obviously, I mean, probably a Hall of Fame defenseman. I mean, I don't know how many of those three with uh, Latang, Crosby, and Malkin you're going to throw into the Hall of Fame, but all three with three cups. Um, and yeah, it's. I, I mean, I think this is something that needs to be looked into further. But I mean, you know, in today's day and age, with with you know the the medical care that they're under in the National Hockey League, I mean, obviously he was cleared to play and cleared to good to go. But scary situation with for the Latang family. I can imagine, you know, for the next few weeks, people are going to be a little uneasy with Chris Latang back in the lineup. Um, Teddy, I don't know where you stand on on Connor McDavid. Obviously, you know, uh, you know your your hometown of being uh, Calgary, Alberta, and and uh, you know north of Calgary, having Connor McDavid, you know, year in year out, lead the scoring race, be just the most electric player in the National Hockey League. Um, he's got fifty four points in twenty eight games. Uh, he continues to just be a human highlight reel. I remember I watched him last year in the Battle of Alberta, and what impressed me most was not the highlight reels, but it's the it's the ability to make goal scoring opportunities. At the blink of an eye, at a very tight spaces, and just the little plays too. His little passes, little saucer passes. He's always making the right plays, and obviously a phenomenal skater. But do you think Connor McDavid is the most evolved hockey player that hockey fans have ever seen? Oh, I think that kind of comes back to the Crosby McDavid kind of debate. Like definitely, he like McDavid. I uh, I lived in Edmonton um, two years after graduating from Acadia. So I got to, I went to probably about 10, 15 games. I got to see the first game against the Vegas uh, Golden Knights in Edmonton. Um, but watching McDavid play. And then also when Lucic was on the team and you, you watch McDavid skate beside Lucic in a warmup. Like there is no doubt that this guy is just so smooth, so flawless. Right. And, and when you look at how quick he can pivot on the dime, he can just turn up center or even when him and dry I don't know if you saw dry 
walked up to the blue line backhander cut back flings that sauce i'm pretty <laughs> sure mcdavid yeah cradles it like a lacrosse ball comes around wraps the net like those two guys together are filthy and i think like when i look at mcdavid like if he was a tougher guy like if he had that kind of tom wilson attitude in him obviously you don't want him fighting because what happened in junior he broke his wrist but it's just like this guy is so good. I personally would put him down as yeah, the, the most evolved player for sure. I think you've seen him also kind of grow as well from when he did have that shoulder uh, injury where he was always kind of yapping at refs. Like you don't see that as much like, yes, he does get frustrated, but not as much. So I also think he's maturing in that side uh, just from when I watch him as a fan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all the listeners will know now. I put uh, 20 bucks on them to win <clears throat> the Stanley Cup, and I'll still stand by that. There's still my Stanley Cup pick. Um, I'm a big believer that the greats of the game, um, they get their rings, and I think that McDavid will be a multi-cup winning um, player uh, when it's all said and done. It just makes a lot of sense for me that they, the Edmonton Oilers, I mean, obviously Jack Campbell needs to get things figured out, but I think that they have the top-end talent to go win a cup. I mean, we saw them take care of Calgary in surprising fashion in the playoffs last year. Obviously, they ran into a buzzsaw of, of Colorado. They just seemed destined to win the cup last year, but I'm really a proponent that McDavid's going to get one in the next few years, and and uh, they're going to be my favorite team to bet futures on. And I would check in if you're listening right now at those odds uh, to see what type of odds you can get on uh, on Edmonton because I am fairly bullish that these two can really dry settle on McDavid could carry a team to a cup. They're that good. Uh, Thomas Shabbat, sorry, that. go ahead. You like that, Teddy? Yeah, I would second. I, I can yep. see the Oilers. Uh, especially as a Calgary kid. My dad's a huge Oilers fan. I do have a McDavid jersey. Nice. Um, I, I would second that. Yeah, yeah, man. So they've been my favorite uh, future bet all year in the NHL, and they continue to be. Um, Thomas Shabbat. This was an interesting scene. I don't know if you saw that, Ted. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, Shabbat was he wasn't even on the end of the bench. He was like a couple spots in, and he swung his stick in disappointment and caught his teammate Travis Hamonic right in the face. What type of damage did he do to Hamonic? And what the fuck was Thomas Shabbat thinking? What, what do you do as, as Travis from here on out? Yeah. You're just like, stay away from me, man. I mean, like, you know, I've blown a few sticks up in my day, but yep. usually it was across the crossbar so that everyone could see I was upset with my play. <laughs> yeah. And that's the reason I was a minus. Yeah. <laughs> but like the bench, man, and, and not only just your players, but then there's like the training staff and your coaches. And it's like, that shit goes flying. They're like, it's so dangerous there. And it, I don't know, like, and to think that you could swing your stick in that space. Like there's a difference. Maybe you step on it if you're on the bench, but he clapped him. And then Hamanek did have a, a, a cut across his eye here. Right. So, oh, man. um, absolutely psychotic. I get that you get frustrated, uh, maybe go in the tunnel or like I said, do it elsewhere. I don't know. Pretty, yeah. pretty wild. It was unbelievable. Really? So if you haven't seen that clip, go check it out. You'll, Find it on Twitter and and uh, all across social media. It was it was outrageous. But uh, just kind of staying with the Ottawa Senators too, Teddy. Obviously, it's been a tough year for the Senators. Uh, hometown kid, the face of my city, Drake Batherson, uh, scored a nice goal to win uh, against the Nashville Predators on the weekend. But uh, they've announced that well, obviously their, their team's for sale. Uh, with the passing of Eugene Melnick, the daughters have put the team for sale. And Ryan Reynolds, the NHL has announced publicly that whoever buys this team is most likely going to have to work with Ryan Reynolds as a, minor, a minority owner. Um, I think this is going to be really good because I feel as if Ottawa is kind of like the forgotten brother in the Canadian hockey world. They just live in such a shadow of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens on the East Coast. And um, I think Ryan Reynolds will be a nice um, you know, poster boy for the ownership of the Ottawa Senators group. Um, what do you think about Ryan Reynolds? Do you think it's a good move to have him involved with the Ottawa Senators? 
I think so. And and you're spot on. Like Ottawa is a beautiful place and always goes under the radar regardless. And when you're talking Canada, you kind of forget that it's our capital city. Yep. I get that the rink location isn't ideal, but still it's a beautiful, like they have a good facility there. And so you get a guy like Ryan Reynolds, who's a well-loved Canadian as is. I think he gives a great opportunity to grow the game. Uh, not only because like when you look at his, some of his movies, he will do cameos referring to being from Canada. Yep. Deadpool. He's kicking some dude's head and he's like from Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you know, like stuff like that. So I think there's opportunity where he will grow the game to a whole different market within this Hollywood where he'll probably do some sort of hockey related movies. But I also like Ryan Reynolds because one, he's got a rocking hot wife and they're funny on social like media. Like lively shout out. That's it. And then he's also got the, uh, I believe it's Pilot Gin, right? So he's got a he's got a liquor company. So I think that would be a lot of fun. He seems like a guy who would kind of be like Paul Bissonnette, like let's take in this team and let's have fun at the rink. Let's do a pilot night. Let's do a top gun night. Like I feel like that's the kind of fun stuff that Ryan Reynolds would bring because he's a passionate Canadian, but he's an entertainer at the end of the day. Man, I I totally agree. I like that a lot. Teddy, just a side note here, man. How, how outrageously successful has the spit and chicklets podcast been with their liquor sales? Not only just, you know, garnering an audience, uh, but their new beer and pink Whitney pink Whitney you find in every bar, especially in the East coast. I mean, people love it. I mean, just, uh, just wildly successful enterprise that they've built over there at, uh, at spit and chicklets. Dude. And I think it's exactly like what you're doing. You know, you just start, you build your following and you keep going. And remember uh, when they first came out with the drink, everyone's like, Oh, how do we get pig? When you got to go to the States, got to go to the States. Yeah. And it's, uh, and once it came here, um, it was cool. And, and by all means, like, I love those guys. I love the spit and chicklets. They get me through half my drives from Calgary to Edmonton. Yep. Um, but I, I think like, you know, when you have a niche and like I said, just like the daily intermission and you got fans that support you and you have good product and good content, like you're going to do well. And, um, it's always cool to see. And, and it's funny that, you know, you're, you see the old white lady drinking pink Whitney, not knowing exactly what that's all about. hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, Teddy, just our final two headlines to talk about here too. Um, Johnny hockey being a big Calgary flames fan, um, what do you think of his decision to go to Columbus? Uh, I know he scored an OT winner last night. It didn't work out well for because I was going to dog on him a little bit. Um, but I mean, you just got to feel like he's just really a guy that's went from being one of any, the NHL's poster boys, Johnny Hockey in Calgary, lighting it up year after year after year. And now he's in Columbus and I mean, he doesn't really get any attention. Yeah. You got to think like, first off, how do you end up in Columbus of all places? Yeah. I love Johnny hockey. Everyone's loved him. You know, he was sick. He's electric. He's a little guy. He's got a hell of a snap wrist shot, always ripping top cheese there. And I think like, you know, what I didn't mind about getting rid of Johnny Goudreau is that his game, I don't think is going to age as well as you would think for a guy that size, right? He's not a big physical guy. He doesn't get in the corners like a Kurt Suzuki or Kyler Yamamoto, you know, same guys that I see same size, similar play. So when you think of a guy who is just quick, but not physical, as he gets older, is he just going to become less quick and less fast and less, you know, hand-eye coordinated? I don't know. So I'm not too upset about, you know, Johnny leaving, but also you look around the guys that he had, you know, I'm guessing. Cause if, if the, if you look at the flame stats from last year, Eric Lindholm, their defenseman, 
uh, Johnny Goudreau and Kachuk, you know, they, they had their top three or top five in points. And it pretty much looked like Eric Lindholm would set up a stretch breakout pass one touch from, you know, either Backlin or Kachuk onto Goudreau and they'd score. So I feel like when you look around the guys that they're playing with, maybe that was the style that worked, get the guys moving quick, get them moving fast. And I just don't think he has that in Columbus. Cause like, who does Columbus have Seth Jones? Is that kind of their, yeah. there anymore? Yeah, like, and they've also so got, um, I'm not shocked that he's not doing great. Um, when you look at the team that, that he's, he's with. And I mean, Columbus, like they've had their runs over the time. And, um, so yeah, very interesting of all places though, Columbus that he ended up, you think it would have been like closer to his home. He knows he always talk about New Jersey or Philadelphia, Yeah, but I don't know if it, if they can get some bigger guys to to help him and and get some guys to help him move the puck maybe but who knows. Yeah, that team, I mean they're going to be I mean they might be in the Bedard hunt which would be interesting. That'd be sick. Yeah. Um, you know Bedard that'd be an interesting market for him to join but uh, line A obviously they're from Winnipeg. Um, uh, right, yeah. dish there. But I mean yeah, they really don't have and they they're, they're without Wierenski, their best defenseman uh for the remainder of the year but I mean there must be something about Columbus Ohio. Uh, it is Ohio, right? I think, um, yeah. so we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, Teddy, just finally, before we leave the show, before we conclude the show, when is the NHL going to get their head of their ass and get some international hockey for us to watch? Because it is a shame that we're not watching the Kachuk brothers and Austin Matthews take on McDavid and McKinnon. I mean, the, the best on best international stage is starving and, there's there's no there's no international inside. I mean, we're not going to the Olympics. Um, you know, we're not organizing World Cups. It's such a shame. It is, you know, we're missing out on global audiences and growing the game. And I think that Gary Bettman is making massive mistakes as we continue to go months and years without having these guys showcase on the international stage. Totally agree. I totally agree. And I get that, you know, kind of my comments earlier about, hey, this is business and teams want to win. But I feel like it's, yeah, the bigger picture of really showing, you know, who the best of the best really are and and giving that community and bragging rights to grow the game in that sense. And honestly, I thought one of the best formats was when they did that, like, young versus old, all-stars, you know, like all that stuff. Like, yeah. I felt that was the closest you get to it. But, you know, I recognize at the same time, if you look at the World Junior Pool, for example, let's take teams like Latvia... Switzerland, areas like that. Like I recognize they're, they're not as strong in the professional level. Right. So it could be a little harder of a sale point where it's just like, yo, the four teams are Sweden, Russia, Finland, Canada, us, whatever. Yep. Maybe then it's just like a super series of the top elites, but, and, and maybe we have to make a, you know, a team of misfit internationals that pick up from the less skilled teams to make it a little more worthwhile. Yep. But overall, like it, it is kind of sad, especially when you think of a guy like Connor McDavid is like, why is this guy not playing in the Olympics to go get a gold medal? Cause you know, you would win a gold medal with Canada's team, something like that. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, it's definitely sad. And, but I'm sure Gary Batman, like I actually wrote a paper on that guy. Like that guy has so much, so much on the go that, <laughs> There's, For like, sure. you know, he's got 32 teams that he has to look over to make sure that they're all, you know, within salary cap, they're all meeting this. And then now he's like, fuck, now I got to worry about 
uh, just contracts, media contracts. Now I got to worry about overseas. Like that guy's got a lot on his plate, but when you look at how much Gary Bettman has actually grown the game since I think he started, it was maybe 1996. He was the first commissioner ever. He's actually done a really good job for the game. And I, I, I do find it hard to talk negative about Gary because I love that he's embraced the booze at the, yep, at the, the, drafts. the drafts and everything. But um, I think that is something that I'm sure he recognizes that people want but I feel that um, it's not fair to just blame him. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm starving for it, Teddy. And I know, I mean, obviously, you know, Gary Bettman, great job. And it's not not all on Gary. I mean, it, uh, you know, there is other organizations like the uh, IIHF and, and the Olympics to, you know, you know hopefully, uh, you know, get something organized. And, and I know that the players... You know, they, they, they wanted to because, you know, at the end of the day, these international competitions can be resume building, Hall of Fame building, um, you know, moments of their careers. But uh, but daily intermission listeners, I really appreciate. I know you guys will appreciate as well. Teddy coming on and joining us for the podcast. Make sure you're on all the social medias. Make sure you go check out Ted's socials. Ted Higa on Instagram. Um, Teddy, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you for this. Greg, this is a blast, man. And it's great to reconnect with the mics here. Um obviously a different topic than what we're used to. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing to, to listen in on the shows and keep it up. And to all the listeners out there on the daily intermission, thank you for uh, sitting through this and thank you for supporting my, my friend and, and all the work he's been doing. So don't forget to uh, like share and subscribe and all that good stuff that the typical people say in this world. So uh, thanks again, Greg, and thanks to the daily intermission team and, and listeners. Absolutely folks. Listen, have a great week.